Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller. Heath Cummins, jo- Cummins joins us. Heath, how are you doing? Fantastic. Glad to be here. I say Heath. Heath is with CBS. I met Keith, when he had a short, very short stint with football guys. It was pretty short, wasn't it? You know, I think it was five years. Oh, I did. I was, I was, I'm, we met in Vegas, and I think yep. I was in Vegas two years. The first year I was a football guy, it was just as a recapper, so I don't know if that counts. Um, but, yeah, it was four to five years. Oh, I didn't give you enough credit. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you're one of the ones like Harmon that came through and, you know, springboarded way above many of us. So uh, happy to root for you. Happy to see you and Har- Matt Harmon, you know, blazing trails in the fancy world, especially after I've met you guys. You know, it's when you meet somebody, it's always it's always cool. All right. Reese, you want to lead him off with a question here. Of all the CBS fantasy analysts. Who would you not want as your co-manager for your football team? Um, definitely Adam Azer. No question about it. Uh, we've done that a few times before, and it led to a, a very funny moment on the podcast a couple of years ago when I got mad at him in the middle of a show and dropped Carson Wentz from our roster without uh, asking him about it, and he called me an idiot moron on air. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely Azer. Who would be the top one for you? You know, it's probably the guy that I agree with the most in terms of approach is the guy that's um, been added most recently. It's Ben Gretsch. And we, we agree just enough to really argue when it's, when it's time that we disagree. But, uh, yeah, our approaches are pretty similar. So this is out of left, we, uh, left field question, all right? Uh-huh. Uh, we had Mike Clay on the other day, and Mike's a great guy, and we were talking analytics. But, you know, most of the people in the fantasy world are tape watchers or, you know, something of that nature. And Gretsch is more of an analytics guy, right? And yeah. which, which spec, end of the spectrum are you closest to? I would say that I definitely lean more towards analytics, especially when it comes to evaluating prospects. Um, I don't, I just don't have time to watch a lot of college film with as busy as they keep me during the NFL season. And so I watch more college in January and February than I do from September through December. Um, But I definitely lean more on analytics when it comes to evaluating prospects. And then I'm a projections guy at heart. So like, I'm definitely watching NFL film, but I lean towards the numbers just a little bit. Both are so important and it really bothers me whenever we have the big, ugly tape versus analytics fights because then neither side's right. Right. But the funny part about this, and I, I've made fun of this, this what, three or four recent times or more, how everybody wants to argue and have these strong takes about, no, I think my 73% probability is better than your 47% or whatever. You know I mean? Like none of us are right that much. We're, we're arguing over probabilities and possibilities. Uh, do you agree with that? Oh, like Ben Gretsch actually said something like that uh, on Twitter just a couple of weeks ago when someone was asking him about like, what's the important thing to do when you're just getting into the industry? It'd be good for you, Reese. It's like, you have to act much more certain than you actually are. 
like we're all talking about hoping for a 60 or 65% success rate, like you say, but you better seem 100% certain when you say it. Well, that and I'm going way off script, but that and people, now there's so many people in the industry, everybody's looking for their sleeper and they're going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper it just hoping to hit one right. And if I hit one right, I'll have instant glory. Does that seem right to you? That, that's uh, like the, the one of the things that annoys me every year is when we start having the debate about what is a sleeper or what's not a sleeper and no people have heard of it. Well, there's 10,000 people doing this now. Everyone's heard of everyone who might be good this year. You're not probably going to be the first guy to talk about anybody. Just make the best argument for the right guy. Right. And when Reese was reading, uh, when he was writing his book, and I, pr- I always put it up here, I was telling him, you know, what's funny about the fantasy football world is n- people care less about you being 100% right or 100% wrong, but more of, can you make a solid case for or against something? You know, how's your logic skills and can you paint that picture? Does that seem pretty close? Yes. All right, Reese, what else you, what, what other uh, coming at? Heath and the CBS team do you have there? On your rankings, I know pretty oh, much every oh. CBS analyst has DJ Moore a lot higher than any other uh, platform. Why is that? I think Ben Gretsch gets credit for that because he loved DJ Moore before last year. But the way I, I can only speak for myself, and it is true that like we start, they say if you're married to somebody for long enough, you start to look like them. We start in February with rankings that don't look near as similar as they do by the time we get to August, but they really should because we spend five days a week discussing these things and making points. And if nobody ever listened to anybody else and changed their rankings because of a good point they made, then it wouldn't make any sense. So like that's kind of the defense of why different sites have clusters on certain guys. It's because somebody makes a good point and the other guys say, you know what, I'm, I, you're right. Uh, with more, I think it's just a guy at his age last year to have that type of season with arguably the worst quarterback in the NFL, Cal- Kyle Allen. Those guys generally turn out to be superstars. And I think you're looking at an offense that should be relatively fast-paced. Moore is the clear number one wide receiver. I think he's got a legitimate shot at 150 targets last year. And he was a top 10 wide receiver last year through the first 14 weeks before he got hurt in week 15. So the only thing I get worried about is the fact that he's had such a hard time getting into the end zone his first two seasons. And through two years, I don't really care about that too much. If it happens again this year, then I'll start thinking, okay, maybe he's a Keenan Allen, T.Y. Hilton type that's a high-end number two, low-end number one because he never scores enough touchdowns. For now, he's still young enough. I'm open to the possibility that he turns into an alpha in every regard. The one stat Reese hit me with early in this uh, cycle was how many times the Panthers threw last year, which kind of gives me a little pause. What were they, like second? They were second and drop back, so it included sacks. But Kyle, Kyle Allen or Cam Newton or whoever was that quarterback dropped back with the intention of passing 633 times last year. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a good, good point. And I think it's a reason, like not to shift gears too much, but it's a reason to be excited about Terry McLaurin. Yes. Because the, the people that were making those decisions are now in Washington. And I expect Dwayne Haskins to improve. So I do think there's a chance the Panthers' total pass volume could go down a little bit. 
Um, but I still expect like their defense is terrible and they've got a younger head coach that's wants to be a little bit more analytic driven. I expect they're going to be fast paced. And uh, not only that, you can lose volume and pick up efficiency between Allen and Bridgewater. What were you going to follow that up with? Uh, you mentioned Dwayne Haskins. With Alex Smith coming back on the active roster, do you expect him to make a strong push for the starting quarterback job? Especially since he was the next chief. Just I, throw that in there. I, I am. Like, I think he's also, from everything I've ever heard, one of the better guys in yeah. the NFL. And you, you see, like, anybody who's played with him or even been around him is really pulling for him right now. I, I, I would like it if Alex Smith could get another chance to be a starting quarterback. I think it's unlikely especially with the situation that Washington's in. They're not competing for anything this year. They need to find out what they have in Haskins because if they're terrible again this year, they're going to have a decision to make going into next year's draft. So I expect Haskins to start most of the year. So if they start losing, they put in Kyle Allen just to help <laughs> seal the 1-1, right? Well, I think if you like, that's the other side of the equation, though, is if Haskins is really bad, it kind of feels like you have to give Alex Smith a shot. Yeah. Like you can't run Kyle Allen out there. No. Unless but, you're like trying to lose. That's what, yeah. That was my thought. Yeah. Hey, but the other thought I had, and I just thought of that this afternoon, and you're going to laugh at this heat. Alex Smith has played on all the Native American teams except for the 49ers. He was a youth, a chief. Now he's a football team, but you know. I, I was just thinking of all the, the pattern. That's pretty humorous. That is uh, that's interesting. I never made that connection. Yeah, probably I spend too much time thinking and talking football. <laughs> <laughs> you may have a problem if. <laughs> what else do you have there, Reese? So you're a Chiefs fan, right? I can tell by the book with that weird guy on it, like that number 15. Yeah. Not not a huge fan. but Well, wait, wait, wait. just to set up for those that are just listening, there's a uh, cereal box behind Heath that has Mahomes – and then Reese is wearing a Peyton Manning jersey. Broncos Peyton Manning jersey. Of course. Is there any other? Colts. I know. I know. All right. Go ahead. And I just had to set that up. Some drafts I see CEH is going like number one, number two overall. Do you like that thought process or would you rather go with someone safer? No, I'm in a very uncomfortable position this year <laughs> because I, first off, I didn't have – Clyde edwards is one of my top three backs in this class before the draft. I like I, it's a very good class, but I thought Taylor, Dobbins, and Swift were all pretty clearly um, better prospects than he was. And then with the way this offseason's gone and the fact that they didn't get rookie camp and they didn't get OTAs and they're not getting preseason camp and training camp looks – I mean, they're just putting pads on with their team for the first time this week. I'm pretty – like I think I'm universally lower – on all the rookie running backs, including Clyde, he's still a top 10 running back for me. I don't have that big a problem with it. If somebody wants to take him at the back end of the first round, I have him on one team and that's just because I had one team that was a terrible dynasty team and I had a high enough pick to take him. I don't imagine I will get him on Like when he, when Damian Williams was still there and Clyde was going in the second round, I thought that was too high. And now that Damien's gone, yes, I, I'd be happy to take him in the second round, but now everybody's taking him in the top five pick, and I'm just not going to get any. I'm not going to get any Jonathan Taylor, even though I think he's awesome. It's uh, I'm just a little bit worried about those rookie backs this year. 
And, and to that point, I'm going to flip on, you know, like, I think Ingram is criminally undervalued in redraft, you know, going in fifth, sixth round. Uh, Marlon Mack, maybe a little bit. I don't really sweat him because Taylor's so much better. But, you know, when I look at Ingram and Dobbins, the Ravens could run pretty well this year, couldn't they? Oh, they'll be the best. I expect they'll be the best running team in football again. Um, I, I think it's interesting, like, with the way that everybody's going so crazy over running backs early, if you happen to be in the position, I was in a draft today where it happened, where I took Michael Thomas in the first round at sixth or seventh, and then I came around in the second, I took George Kittle. There's enough running backs in round five, six, seven, eight that you can put together a pretty good squad. Maybe not with the full original zero running back approach, and maybe you take one in the first round and then load up on wide receivers. But this rookie class coming in has pushed so many running backs down to past round five or six that I I think you can do just fine in that range too. Yep. All right. So he asked you about CEH. Do you like DeAndre Washington there as a handcuff, or who do you like as the handcuff, or do you not like that handcuff? I mean, not see, we in the fantasy community, everybody wants to force that square peg into the round hole for the handcuff. There's got to be one. But is it Washington since he played at Tech with Mahomes, or is it just TBD? Yeah. I, I think it's TBD. I think Washington, I, I went into camp with the idea that Washington had the inside track. But it's funny, like we talk about it with all the players that are changing teams, how they've got to learn a new offense. And they don't have as much time as anybody else. And that's true for Washington as well. Last year, we wanted to say that Darwin Thompson was for sure the handcuff. And the first guy that they called on when they needed somebody was Daryl Williams. The first guy they called on when Clyde Edwards-Alaire took a day off in camp was Daryl Williams. So I think it's a little bit TBD. I don't have any problem at all with throwing a pick around 12 or later at Daryl Williams, at DeAndre Washington, at Darwin Thompson, whether you drafted Clyde or not. Um, there's serious upside there, and there's a chance that he still shares a little bit at the beginning of the year. I just don't think we have any clue which one it is right now. Or if Andy even, Andy Reid even knows who, which one it is. I mean, right. let's, let's be honest. Uh, Damian Williams was a cast off. He did very, he shared time at Oklahoma, undrafted, cast off from Miami. Miami did, you know, we look at Miami's running backs last year, and we thought, man, they stink. Well, Damian Williams was a cast off off of those guys, right? I mean, basically, Kenyon Drake was too. Yes. And so, uh, so on Drake, are you uh, a believer in Drake or not? Yeah, I think this is my third or fourth consecutive year with him on my breakouts list. This year is going to be the year it actually happens. Actually, we're counting last year as a win because he was a league winner in the second half. Um, I, I believe in his talent, and I think it's pretty clear with what Arizona did in trading away David Johnson, like he's going to be the guy this year. I, he is, in for me, in the same range as Clyde Edwards-Elair, as guys that could be a top five back this season, but we don't quite have the floor to draft them as high as the top five backs. Exactly. Um, especially because I look back and he, he got 133 carries or less in Miami. And yeah. So Reese would say that's because of case and game script. Yes. It's Gase, yeah. I mean, you, any player who was bad in the past but had Adam Gase as a coach has a built-in excuse. Devontae Parker? Yeah. I mean, look at Parker in the second half of last year. You talk about game winners. He and Fitzpatrick won leagues for people last year down the stretch, right? Yeah, as, uh, as crazy as that sounds. And, that, and then I don't even know how much I like Parker this year because – 
the first half of last year, Preston Williams was actually better than Parker. Yep. He was he got more targets, he had more catches, he had more yards until he got hurt, and it sounds like he's going to be ready. So it's it's a it's a wild situation. Yeah, but good thing they'll be bad, right? <laughs> they mean, will be bad, that's for sure. What else you got? So you're go, keep them with the Chiefs. Are you? Do you think Miko Harmon can produce 800 receiving yards, even with a healthy Tyreek and Kelsey? You know, I struggle with him a lot because the efficiency was obviously out of this world. The uh, situation being there with Patrick Mahomes and never having to worry about having a team's number one corner or even their second most attention is fantastic. But really, he was behind Sammy Watkins and he was behind Demarcus Robinson. Yes. And Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson are still there. So I think he has the most upside of those guys. But he went in round nine of our draft that we did today. I don't ever take him that early, which means I just don't get him. I, I think that he's a boom bust lottery ticket type wide receiver best served for the double digit rounds and if you're gonna have that kind of player you might as well wait three rounds and get to sean jackson or something like that right for sure i meant same kind of guy but also i expect andy reed to script some you know three or four bubble screens or something to hardman just to try to get the guy that's pretty fast the ball you could just do the same thing with tyree so. yeah but if you had him one on each side it, it really stressed the defense what are your thoughts I think Miko can, because Watkins is not exactly the poster boy for uh, injury history. And DeMarcus Robinson, yes, he can make catch some catches down the stretch, but Miko started to take uh, kind of getting some reps as well. He's not going to be your leader in red zone targets for, by any means, but he still is not bad for a best ball uh, double-digit round. Pick. But he said he was ninth round, but I could see him. He, you're an OG like I am. I was using this example. I could see him having an Ashley Lee season of, for his Broncos. You know, like 52 catches, a thousand yards, or something like you know, goofy oh. like that. Yeah, ab absolutely. Like that's well within the range. I think like the what one word you said there was best ball. And I, I like him a ton more in that format than I do. I don't want to have to decide when to start him each week. I no idea. Oh, yeah. That'd be like Vincent Jackson. You remember those days? He'd have three games a year, and you had to put him in for all the clunkers, just hoping for the, oh, is this the, is this the week he goes 200 yards and three touches? You well, know? you don't have to go back that far. You look at Will Fuller last year. I mean, he had a, the, one of the best games ever for a wide receiver and he had another 100 yard game and then i don't think he ever broke 60 yards again <laughs> or deshaun jackson he has a big game week one and then you know gone same thing with john ross yes but john ross is the tease every year you have another <laughs> Not this year though yeah there's people that still advocate for him i still see his name floated around and i'm like you know because on the aj green tweaks his hand oh john ross oh. Oh, yeah, like we're, we're a week away because T. Higgins has not been at training camp much either. Right. We're a week away if Higgins and A.J. Green are hurt from John Ross being a thing again. John Ross versus Auden Tate. Come on, guys. Let's, let's bring out the gloves. Go to your corners. <laughs> you have, a, you have uh, some more Chiefs questions? I have one for you, Heath. What do you think about Kelsey? Uh, is he going to see the end? Is he still going to be a Chief in four years when he's 35 at the end of that contract? Um, probably depends on how many rings they've got, but <laughs> yeah, I like, 
Oh, they wow. went into the off season with like $170 in cap room and they gave away a billion dollars <laughs> to, uh, to players. So the salary caps all make believe right. as, as long as he stays healthy. And we saw like with Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates that happened with others. It hasn't, it's a, it's underrated how um, injuries affect that position. But so far, despite the fact that he was hurt his rookie year, so far he's been pretty healthy since. Yeah, you think Ben Watson, Jared Cook, Delaney Walker? I mean, Delaney Walker's still looking for a job. And and so, you know, it's just one of those things. I was just thinking he'll be 35 if he's highly paid and, and he's declining. Well, Jason Witten's another one. That, that was more of my thought. Because big money at 35 is uh, – other than quarterback, that's, you know, something different. Also, I think it helped the Chiefs that Damian Williams did opt out. You know, some of these guys did opt out to free up some money. Yeah. Do you have any other Chiefs questions for Heath? I have a uh, besides Chiefs question. Besides the Chiefs, who are your favorite uh, fantasy offenses to target for, like, the passing game? You know, I um... – I have targeted Dallas a lot. I don't think that defense is going to be particularly good. I love what Kellen Moore did last year. I'm not so sure that Dak might not even improve on what he did last year. I mean, they've got – what I really like is when you get a concentrated offense in terms of targets. And we saw it last year with them. There weren't a lot of targets wasted on other players. We're going to see that for sure in Atlanta with Julio, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst. Yeah. Um, those are those are the two that predominantly I will target for stacks. I like that. I like that thinking. Did you see? Yeah, uh, I inter- Reese was about to ask you a question. Did you see the report out of Dallas on uh, yesterday, which was Monday, that uh, Gallup is really the receiver one? Did you see that? Made me well. Chuckle. I mean, you look at their numbers, Cooper and Gallup's last year on a per game basis, and that's kind of borne out a little bit. Like I think. I think all three of those wide receivers will be over a hundred targets this year. And I'm, I'm not so sure they won't all be over 900 yards at least as well. How about Jarwin? Do you like Jarwin? I do. So I, I like him. Um, I think the question is because CD lamb, let's say that he just takes the 80 targets from Randall Cobb. I, I don't think that's all he gets. Right. So how many of Witten's targets does Lamb gobble up and how many does that leave for Jarwin? Jarwin's definitely one of those guys in the double-digit rounds. Like, I would take him over Hawkinson right now with the reports about Hawkinson's ankle. Um, I'd take him over Gesicki, who a lot of people are drafting as a starter. But he's in that, in that 13 to 16 range at tight end for me. Yeah, especially if you get two in that range. Like, he and Herndon is my go-to. Yeah. And uh, just two upside guys. You mentioned concentrated targets. The other team that no one talks about with concentrated targets, we talked about them a little earlier, was the Panthers. Because the number one was McCaffrey with 142. DJ Moore had 135. Then Samuel had 105. And Olsen also had 82. But that's it, right? And they had Robbie. Well, that's the thing. And that's the thing that's scary, especially this year, is those guys aren't there anymore. Like – that it's not the same quarterback. It's not the same head coach. It's not the same offensive coordinator. I'm expecting kind of a spread system, but that's also supposed to have some similarities to what they do in new Orleans. And we've seen how concentrated that's been between Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. So that's, that's what I'm hoping it's like, but I'm a little, just a little leery. Like that, what you just said makes me feel good again about Terry McLaurin. Cause I would yes. guess Washington, Washington's targets will be pretty, pretty uh, concentrated. 
You know, and Sims is my go-to guy as the second target in that offense. Maybe I'm wrong, but he seems safe. Oh, well, I, I think he is the second target, but I think that's also good for Terry McLaurin because he's not near as good <laughs> as Terry McLaurin. <laughs> that's like I always I had to I had to uh, um, just with the the days of PC I had to mo- uh, modify my comment there. It's like being the tallest little person. You know what I mean? Sims is the the, ta- the second tallest little person in that offense that's going to have a bad defense, have to throw from behind, right? I mean, yep. yeah, yeah. Have to throw 500 times and you can't exactly throw to McLaurin, 490 of them. So right. someone's right. going to have to catch something. No, uh, oh, yeah. They might throw it 600 times. Yeah. yeah. No, no guys. Antonio Gibson could take over for some, though. Yeah, but I think you, Reese, had almost as many carries as Gibson in his college career. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take any. I know, but you were you were pretty close even at that. You were only thirty three behind him. Yeah, that that was my point, and that was in his career. And so I think people are, I think he's going to be a gadget. I like Gibson long term, but I think he's a gadget player, and I think Pollard's a much better NFL running running back type of player. Yeah, yeah, right now for sure. We'll see what how Gibson develops as a run, runner, but yeah, I think people are going to be super frustrated when Adrian Peterson gets eighteen carries week one. Yeah, because, I mean, look at the competition. Bryce Love, I mean, he and – Peyton Barber. Yeah, Peyton Barber. Yeah, I just – it's hard for me to get on that train. And uh, so, anyway. Who are your favorite guys coming off injury? Because there's a lot of them this year. There's two top 20 quarterbacks, pretty much consensus. There's some running backs, some receivers, even like one or two tight ends. Yeah, I guess um, I'm – I'm pretty excited about what could happen in Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger and James Conner. I guess technically Juju's coming off injury also, even though he he played most of last year. I think that Pittsburgh offense, it's going to be interesting because their defense is really good. And they were pretty run heavy last year because their quarterback play was so bad. Now, Ben Roethlisberger's never really ran an offense like that. It's it's been 600 pass attempts when he's in charge. So if they go back to that, I think it could be awesome for Ben and for Juju. Um, and that offense could be just a little bit underrated on draft day. I, I agree with that. And uh, the, uh, don't, he had a nasty elbow injury. So that, or, you know, that's what throws me. I could also see them going a little bit of 12 personnel with Ebron and McDonald. Because even though I'm an Oklahoma State homer with the Barry jersey behind me, I still don't have faith that, James Washington, who couldn't get it done with Mason Rudolph, his college quarterback, you know, that he's going to be gifted anything. So who you were you were trying to lead Heath down this trail. Who were you thinking of, Reese? <laughs> Matthew Stafford, someone that I've seen you be high on on your Twitter feed. Yeah, I, uh, I do have Stafford ahead of uh, Roethlisberger, so he would have been a better answer. I think it's interesting, again, that's another thing where he changed last year. I assume it was Daryl Bevel. But it always been those short area targets, 100 targets for Theo Riddick or Golden Tate out of the slot. And last year, everything was downfield. It was downfield to Galladay, downfield to Marvin Jones. They have a terrible defense. They've never been good at running the ball. If he's 100% and if they're able to keep him upright with that offensive line, I think Matthew Stafford could easily be a top 12 quarterback again. Yeah. Well, I saw a stat today that over 28% of Matthew Stafford's targets – exceeded 20 yards downfield. That's crazy. That's uh, that's like back to the Megatron days. Yes. And, but what's really interesting to me, we've mentioned 
the Lions, the Washington football team, we've mentioned the Panthers, all three are going to supposedly be the worst in their division, having to throw a lot just to keep pace. What are your thoughts on Marvin Jones? So I think he's a steal at his draft spot, and I think that there's a chance that he outproduces Galladay. Is that too, I, uh, is that too risque for, for this? Just a little bit too far, but not like it's not, it shouldn't be viewed as that outlandish because when he and Stafford and Galladay have all played together, they've been very, very similar. Like the interesting thing last year was we saw Galladay's touchdown spike and everyone just immediately buys into the fact that Kenny Galladay is going to be a huge touchdown guy now. His touchdown production had been pretty underwhelming the first two years, and Marvin Jones has always been a big touchdown guy on a per-target basis. So, uh, like, if you're asking me, would I rather draft Kenny Galladay at the 2-3 turn or Marvin Jones in round nine? Oh, I'd much rather draft Marvin Jones. Yeah. But, but they were equal last year or, yep. you know, in years past. But you mentioned touchdowns. Hawk was out. Marvin Jones was out. You know, of course, I mean, they right. had Amendola lead the team in targets. Is that right? Uh, Galladay was one, Amendola was two. But, yes, if he's number two, and Jones was actually pretty close to him despite missing, like, three games. Yeah. So, how close were they, Reese? Amendola had 97. Uh, Jones had 91 over three, over 13 games. And Amendola played 16. All right. So, now the – so I'm going to uh, give you a loaded question. We talked a little bit about running backs, rookie. Carry on, is he a steal at his ADP, or is he uh, Jonathan, uh, DeAndre Swift's going to catch him? I was going to say I, Jonathan like, Swift. I, yeah, I've, I don't have um... – I don't have carry on and Swift separated by near as much as their ADP suggests. I expect like if you were asking me the first month of the season, I think carry on Johnson probably scores more fantasy points than Deandre Swift. And I think people overestimate like with it's easier with Marlon Mack to say Jonathan Taylor is just a much better prospect than Marlon Mack ever was. Carry on Johnson was a second round pick. Carry on Johnson was awesome in college. Carry on Johnson's problem is he hasn't been able to stay healthy, but I do think he's pretty good as a receiver still. I think they're going to trust him more early in the year than they do Swift. So I would, again, at their ADP, I'd rather draft Johnson than Swift. There's been a couple of drafts where I've drafted both of them when Swift fell to the sixth round, but I'm not paying a fifth-round pick for Swift. See, I would rather, for those similar picks, this is just my bias, I'd rather have the two Ravens in the fifth, sixth round back-to-back than I would the two Lions. That's just me, but... Uh, I like the teams that run a lot and win a lot versus the ones that don't and don't, even though Patricia likes to run a lot. You have any uh, follow-up questions for Heath? We do appreciate your time, sir. Glad to do it. Who's your dark horse candidate for quarterback one? Because past couple years, quarterback one's not come from a place that we expected it. Fantasy quarterback one. Yes. Yeah, I think um, like overall number one, I think that the most like – it's not a dark horse – but the most likely outside of the top two is Dak Prescott. Most people would say Kyler Murray. I don't know. I don't know that I totally buy that. Um, like he might, he, he could do it, but I, I think what, what people, where people go wrong is people are taking his rookie rushing numbers and then saying the passing is going to improve a lot in a second year, which it probably will, especially the touchdown rate. But if the passing improves as much as it should, the rushing is going to drop off a little bit. There's a, there's a trade-off there. So I would say Dak's the most likely behind those two. If I had to pick somebody, it was a dark horse outside of the top 10. 
I mean, I, I guess I'd probably say Stafford. Yeah. I would say that, and I say this often, that I don't think Lincoln Riley gets enough credit and we give too much credit to Mayfield, Murray, and Jalen Hurts. You know, those guys came in to Oklahoma and I'm like the furthest thing from a Sooner fan, but they came in as needing, a, a, you know, to be turned around and Lincoln Riley he, he produced and you know the jury's still out on Mayfield there you know hurts people like him people don't like him uh all right thoughts on and so I'm I'm warning you ahead of time I'm in the anti-camp on this player but what are your thoughts of uh Josh Allen sneaking up in there speaking of Josh Allen I'm going to change my dark horse QB1 take to uh Cam Newton actually um, I think that that's the guy that everyone's just acting like isn't very good. Um, no, I, I like the rushing floor with Josh Allen. I think he has top five upside in leagues that reward four points per pass touchdown. But as like, in terms of long-term, you can't do this running thing like this forever without having any ability to throw the football accurately. And so this, I think this is a make or break year. I, I think it's taken for granted that he's just going to be the guy for Buffalo because they've had a good defense and they've won some games. I, I'm not as sure. I, I think he um, shares some similarities with Blake Bortles. I would, I, for me, it's Trubisky. After Trubisky had 400 rushing yards, everybody was willing to annoy him. To you mentioned uh, Bortles, he was QB six, right? And everybody anointed him. But you know, when I saw the the report from Joe, I butcher his last name. Last name begins with the B. A beat writer up in the Bills. A day after McDermott gets his extension, the next day he's, he 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 uh, you know he reports, you know if. Uh, Allen doesn't turn things around. McDermott's going to outlive him as a, you know, here. And I was thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'd bet, I think I'd take the McDermott side in that bet. Me yes. too. But I mean, you, they bring in Diggs, they bring in all these guys. Now the, if I'm with you, this, it smells like Jake Locker to me or somebody, you know, that's flashed and we gave them too many. They've always been, uh, so Allen's always been an in a, uh, a low completion rate, inefficient passer, right? And But to your point, just because he rushes for 45, 50 yards a game, everybody's like, hey, I think he could be quarterback one. We can overlook this stuff. And so, anyway, how about Daniel Jones? Do you like him at all? Um, I, I'm a little bit leery about a second-year quarterback with the new offensive coordinator in a year when they didn't get to go through all the stuff that they were supposed to go through. And I, I – um, I think there's more potential there. I'm more open to him being a starting fantasy quarterback than I was going into last year, but I'm still not sure that he's an actual starting NFL quarterback. The bar is pretty low, isn't it? I mean, I know there's only 32 in this world, but the bar is still pretty low. The haves and have nots is a big divide. It, it is for sure. Yeah. And like, I, if he takes care of the football this year, then it might be a different situation. Oh yeah. Would, you have some more questions to load up on Heath since he's a Chiefs fan? Okay. So with Mahomes, and there's a report out today about how Henny uh, – a couple days ago about how Henny's the uh, backup, basically backup. Do you, would you be concerned if Mahomes went down again? Concerned I mean, for it, the receivers? Is that what you're saying? Yes, concerned for the receivers and just for the whole offense. 
it would be um, definitely bad for all of them. But I still think like with it's a very good system and one of the top two or three sets of weapons in the league, Chad Henney'd probably just be a high-end number two quarterback. Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey would still be starters and, and Clyde probably would be too. So you wouldn't get as good of production, but I don't think it would be a situation like Pittsburgh last year where everybody just falls off the face of the earth. And, and I don't, you know, everybody wants to be armchair, uh, armchair uh, uh, GM, but if I'm Pittsburgh, I'm floating a late round pick to Miami for Fitzpatrick. You know, like. Well, I don't understand, like maybe, but I don't understand why they let Cam Newton go to New England or why they let Jameis Winston go to New Orleans. Like they've had, they had an opportunity to fix this. And the only thing that I can assume is Ben didn't want him to, and they said okay. Yep, or Dalton even, right? I mean, yeah, like yeah, there there was no shortage of high quality backups, or even I would say starters in some cases available, and they just did not show the interest that were ex that were super cheap. I mean, you know, Dalton was two mil or something like that. Jameis was cheap, and Cam was like a million or something, just crazy. And we're yes. like, how, how, and why? But so you said about Cam, how there's risk, high floor, high, uh, low, uh, low floor, high ceiling, right? Is that your take on it? Yeah, I guess so. Like my, I still personally think the risk is just injury. I don't think there's much risk that Cam Newton's bad if he's healthy. Um, the last time we saw him through 14 games, he was QB six and he was completing 69% of his passes and he'd run for 450 yards like, that's not a bad quarterback. He's been to a Super Bowl. He's been the number one quarterback in fantasy. He's got a good offensive coordinator. And the weapons aren't great, but the weapons weren't ever great, really, in Carolina. So if, if he's healthy, I think he's going to be a top 12 quarterback. And I, I do believe there's top three upside. And the one, the one uh, weapon in that offense I like more than most is uh, James White. I think James White gets no love. He, he doesn't, and we've got at least a, a history. I think the problem with the receivers is we don't have a very good history with Cam Newton and slot-wide receivers. And so, and that's really like Edelman's obviously their best receiver. We've got a history of Cam with tight ends. We've got a history of Cam with throwing to running backs. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think White's probably the most reliable option in that passing game. Edelman's interesting because he's, he's fallen so far. Like, you can, you can draft him in the seventh round now in a PPR league, and whatever he's played, he's been far better than that. It's just uh, you don't know what the connection's going to be with Cam. But I was just thinking White's even cheaper, right? And if you punted running back early, he's a solid running back too, regardless of quarterback. Am I, is that fair? In I, the PPR I, I, I think so. The only I'd put the Bill Belichick asterisk on that just because I, I who who knows is Damian Harris now their starting running back or Lamar Miller or Rex Burkhead or so I think White's role is secure but I'm always he wasn't quite as good last year when Rex Burkhead was around Burkhead stole some of that that work in the passing game a little bit. But White won them a Super Bowl a couple of years ago, so I don't <laughs> think he's going to go away completely. I don't think he's going to go away. No, it's just. He, his role seems to really expand in the playoffs and when it matters, but occasionally it will disappear during the regular season. Yep. Final question for you. Uh, what would you suggest for fantasy players to – how do you, would you suggest for them to draft with a 
threat of a COVID outbreak within a team. Is there a way to adjust your how you draft? I I there's a couple of things I'm doing differently this year, and it depends a lot on your leagues. So I'll start with the commissioners first. Um, I think it's important to have no fab over the weekend. Right. On Sundays and Mondays, I think you should be able to just go in and do first come, first serve waivers. And I don't think all players should lock at noon or one on Sunday. They should lock whenever their game starts. If your commissioner does a good job and does that, then the second part isn't quite as important. But if you're just going to leave the rules like they were last year, and some of my leagues are, I'm drafting two quarterbacks and two tight ends in all of those leagues. And I don't normally draft backup quarterbacks unless it's like a league where everybody's drafting two or three. Um, I don't normally draft backup tight ends, but I do think that's important. It probably... Like in best ball, I, I'm not going to change this, but it might make me a little less likely to stack in a just normal redraft league as well. Because if there's an outbreak on one team and that happens to be the team you stacked, it could just crush you for a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. In the, uh, to pile on on that, it's like, like it's, you've been playing this forever and so have I. But think about when people would, on those fab leagues, they would pick up every kicker for $0.00. And yep. they would drop them knowing that they would be locked until the next week. And so somebody would get stuck with no kicker, no defense, something like that. You, you remember those days, don't you? Oh, oh, ab- absolutely. And so, yeah, I would, I would say that anybody that's a free agent on Sunday morning should just be wide open and available. And uh, hopefully uh, your commissioner agrees. How would you, how would you as a, a fancy player adjust with it's there let me ask it a different way so a little more loaded there are certain teams that are more quote-unquote professional in that we would expect them to handle the covid um, practices a little more professionally at least i have that belief is that adjusted in your rankings or how you draft um no because and the reason i say like i i think i know what you were trying to ask but what i would say like in terms of baseball that argument held a lot more water for me when it was just the Marlins that had messed up. <laughs> but then when it was the Cardinals, who a lot of people view as one of the classiest and, and best run organizations in baseball that had the huge outbreak and cost them a couple of weeks. Um, so, but I will say that like the one thing I have done is prioritize teams that did not have changes. If you've got the same head coach, the same offensive coordinator, and the same quarterback going into this year, I'm far more interested in your offensive weapons. And that also makes me a little bit more concerned about guys like DeAndre Hopkins and Stephon Diggs. Yeah, or even Brandon Cooks going to that mess in yep. Houston. I mean, Watson's carrying everybody's water, right? And he, uh, he is. The interesting thing is, like, and this won't happen because of who the guys are, but if those guys stay healthy – they have such a diverse set of weapons. You talk about Duke and David Johnson, two of the best pass-catching backs. Cobb is a pro's pro as a slot guy. And then you got Fuller, Cooks, and Kenny Stills all going deep. Like, it's a really diverse set of weapons. I just don't know how many you can ever count on being there at the same time. Even the tight ends with Thomas Aikens and all the other guys, you know. Ryan Griffin splashed for the Jets and – it's only because, you know, the Houston tight end room was full. Yeah. Well, Darren Fell scored like eight touchdowns last year or something. Oh, yeah. I, I won a league because of him down the stretch. You know, <laughs> can't get enough of three catches, 20 yards, and a touchdown. Infuriating. Uh, it is, especially if you have somebody <laughs> decent. 
Keith, we enjoyed this conversation. We appreciate your time, especially because right now time is so valuable. We're all like struggling down the home stretch. We appreciate your work at CBS and even some of this Chiefs Broncos talk because I appreciate having some balance <laughs> off of uh, uh, my Bronco loving son. He's like, nah, no, there's never. <laughs> Well, you know, those Broncos fans know balance. The eight and eight is right where they're comfortable. Um, no, I appreciate you guys. I, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, you're doing some fun stuff here, and uh, good luck in the future. Thanks. And, you know, right there, Broncos, Cowboys, you know, Jason Garrett is like, he's like the, he should be, Jason Garrett should be who people put on TV during this political cycle because he could walk right down the middle of the aisle and everybody would be happy on both sides. <laughs> Have a great one, Heath. Thank you.